house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. Charlotte's mother is many things. Charlotte, we're Jewish. Normal isn't one of them. Okay, how do I look? Like a woman about to go forth in sin. Oh, good, exactly the look I was hoping for. That's how Rachel liked it. One, two, three, come And that's why Charlotte didn't. Sometimes I feel like you're the child and I'm the grown-up. What is this? Cheese ball pick-me-ups and for dessert, marshmallow kebabs. Don't do anything Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast saying fuck you to the Chelsea boys and their waxed chests. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed, and I'm here, as always, with my marshmallow kebab, Chris File. Hello, Chris. <laughs> okay, so the ingredients of a marshmallow kebab, obviously marshmallows. Yes. Yes. Maraschino cherries and right. those like what do you even call those circus peanuts? Those puffy orange peanut shaped. I saw things. circus peanuts. I also saw uh, gumdrops of some sort. I believe yes, those or some might sort have also of been candied... maraschino cherries. But I do think there was something green in there, so maybe that's what that was. A there lot was of definitely something green in there. Gross shit! No one wants to eat. Do you, have you ever had one of those circus peanuts? No, they've always sort of repelled me and i like marshmallows but like that doesn't seem that seems like a marshmallow gone bad right like you're supposed to sandwich those bad things no one wants between the marshmallows of the marshmallow kebab a classic kebab strategy nobody's gonna (laughs) eat like a hunk of onion right just on its own but you put that yourself (laughs) okay (laughs) a grilled onion is delicious sure but like you have to like whole onion you're going to, like, slice them thin or something like that. Like, I don't know. The circus peanuts, though, truly taste like nothing and also something that should be used to spackle a wall. Um, yeah. Don't understand why they're candy. Uh, what is the uh, What are the other finger foods, though, that she mentions? Like, crab meat pick-me-ups? Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, this feels very, like, Jackie Weaver and Silver Linings Playbook-esque. Like, the two Krabby of them patties. could probably collab on a, a meal strategy. What are the mermaids one called? Uh, something pick-me-ups. I think she says crab, crab pick-me-ups. Okay, crab fuck, pick-me-ups. Mary kill, crab pick-me-ups, the crab <laughs> thing, and Krabby Patties. Oh, God. Well, Krabby Snacks. Krabby Patties Krabby are snacks. in SpongeBob Square, uh, SquarePants. I feel like, I mean, a crab pick-me-up just sounds like something you'd fuck. You know what I mean? It's a pick-me-up. It's sure. like a wham-bam, thank you, ma'am kind of a thing. <sighs> Do you marry the crab thing? It feels like the crab thing is an investment. It really feels like you got to be in it for the long haul with the crab thing. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, grandiose. It is a little rich, let's imagine. And like, fuck, Mary, kill. The Mary is always rich is always what you go for for Mary. So I guess I'm killing crabby snacks, which like that's for Philadelphia Eagles fans. And I'm a Bills fan. So like, (laughs) 
Okay, That's what I think at. it's probably based on who's doing the cooking. Cher sure. in Mermaids is famously not good at cooking, so... Sure. Fair. <laughs> the crab fair. pick me up is going to be the kill for me. Yeah. Definitely I am with you on the crab thing. And I'm sure that Clarissa Vaughn is probably the most, like, artisanal of the cooking. So, like, Very. I'm going to marry that, and then I'm going to fuck the Krabby Snacks. Because, like, Krabby Snacks also sound like, you know, a bunch of fried things on- piled on a plate that you, like, grab yeah. and go. Right? Plus it's so a snack, it's like you know a what I mean? Snack. Yeah, like, you want to, like, something's a snack, it's something you want to fuck, so, yeah. Exactly. All right. Yeah, I think I think I maybe you've maybe you've maybe pulled me over to your side, but uh, I'm glad we worked that out. I'm glad we uh, we we managed to work that out. I was gonna open the episode instead of calling you a marshmallow kebab and just saying that I saw your wife the other day and she was ugly, but that's uh, that maybe without the context of the film in question, that's maybe is uh, uh, very untrue too. I I find myself very beautiful. Um. Anyway. It's not exactly my birthday as we're recording this. We were originally planning weekend. to record this on your birthday. Right. It's my birthday weekend. And as a special request to me, which you have generously indulged, I said, can we do one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Mermaids. And, and you said that like we would be making some type of special exception and we're really not. No, no. This This is a... Golden Globe nominee. This is a National Board of Review honoree. This is this... an Oscar winner following up their Oscar winning role. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a lot of meat on this bone. More meat than I would have originally thought. Because growing up, like this was a movie that existed for me the way movies like... I'm trying to think of like what other sort of like... Like, Hook, kind of labyrinth, you know what I mean? Movies that people watched when they were a kid and watched a lot of. And I've seen this movie upwards of 20, 25 times. And it's a movie that my sisters and I really bond over. We watched this a lot with our cousins when we were little. I know I was watching it last night and I found myself just like speaking along so much of the dialogue (laughs) along with the movie because I know it so well. It is one of my most reliable cheer me up movies. Like if I want to just like sit down and watch a movie that I know is going to make me happy, Mermaids does the trick every time. Mm -hmm. So I was very, very excited to be able to talk about this with you. But like, what is your experience with mermaids i know you had seen it before but like of course i've seen this before my childhood experience with mermaids was like i remember watching it young keep in mind bear in mind i don't remember a period of my life where i wasn't allowed to watch pretty woman a movie about a (laughs) sex worker 1990 yeah and like I, I've talked about this story before. Like, so much of that shit went over my head. And I was like, yeah, she's a hooker, whatever. Like, that's normal. Like, six <laughs> years old. Right. And, uh, like, the thing of the different colored condoms, I thought those were the shitty flat suckers you get at the doctor's office, etc. <laughs> so it went over my head. Doctors should be handing those out at the doctor's office as well. So it's also I'm a movie saying. that's like Cinda fucking Rella. In the first 15 minutes, they yeah. have a whole sequence talking about uh, a sex worker who was found mutilated in a dumpster and like perfectly fine for me to watch this at six anyway i'm getting there mermaids however i distinctly have a 
memory of watching it and there being a scene that I didn't understand why, but my mom was like, turn this off. This is a dirty movie. He can't watch this. Oh. And it's the scene of the girls in the bathroom saying, I gave him oral sex. I love when men moan. And I had no idea what sure. that meant. So sure. like, I don't understand why this, this like basically family movie was so dirty for me to watch. Granted, Winona Ryder is very horny in this movie. Very, like, oh, yes. in her narration, openly yes. horny. So maybe yes. my mom was already a little on edge about that stuff. Well, it, and, and in such a peculiar way, too, horny. Just sort of, yeah. like, in that very teenager way where... how Does it say how old Charlotte is supposed to be in this movie? 15. 15, which is sort of what I expected. Right. So, in a way that, like... She's not necessarily a late bloomer, but I feel like she's probably a little bit behind in terms of, like, what her level of experience with something like this is. I remember, like, as I certainly was, I was certainly a late bloomer, but I remember, like, at 15 in high school, like, I definitely knew, like, classmates or whatever who had had some sort of sex or whatever. Well, but, I mean, there's two things I think about that. It is... A, set in the early 60s. Oh, totally. And B, because it's a family that moves around so much, like, she can't really establish friendships that she might be able to, like, people that she would be comfortable, like, having those type of joking. The Mary O'Briens of the world and whatnot. Exactly. But so also, her notions of this is all caught up in this Lives of the Saints stuff. Yeah. With immaculate conceptions and... You know, all this, you know, religious iconography <laughs> wrapped up in her sexuality where she becomes she sees like, a nun and she's like, I wonder what her boobs are like. Under I wonder what color her bra is like that kind of thing, which is like the perfect level of like, yes, that sort of moving in all directions, uh, sexual awakening where you have questions about everything and notions of purity and carnality are like inextricably mixed up in her head or whatever she's actually a really fascinating character yeah along those lines yeah i mean i really like this movie just in terms of like we've seen i mean we just a few weeks ago did a movie very much like this with a walk on the moon but like this yeah of these movies of like not necessarily coming of age but like parents and their children and these like kind of romance happening like in the plot but this one's actually kind of an interesting one about female sexuality in a way like for a movie that was sort of sold the way it was as this yeah. kind of cute mother daughter you know uh comedy it has at its center at least and i would count lou among them too like some really interestingly complicated characters but especially charlotte and her mother in this movie mm-hmm. where both of them are very specifically drawn i think rachel flax is an interestingly ahead of her time woman where you can there are moments in the movie where she talks about how her parents never understood her and when she left and never looked back and whatever where you can picture her own sort of rebellious youth in the late 40s i guess it must have been like to imagine uh that so charlotte's 15 and it's 1963 so charlotte was born in the late 40s 1940 uh 1948 essentially and so that's a really interesting time to be a woman 
like Rachel, who was so determined to be independent and sexual and, you know, unapologetic and all of this stuff, which is like, not that I want a prequel to movies that are already perfect, but like (laughs) a prequel movie about Rachel Flax as a teen would be a really interesting character to follow. Mm-hmm. but don't do it nobody get any ideas mermaid's perfect like don't <laughs> don't fuck with it do you know what i mean though like oh 100 uh, i mean uh it, in the ways that i think like the movie is maybe a little bit slight i do think that the actual character development of everybody is really yeah. interesting and like you were right yeah. to, i think even mentioned lou is a really interesting character i think there's a lot of complexity with rachel too because like you mentioned uh the kind of late bloomerness of charlotte like it ultimately i think becomes pretty clear that part of the reason why even though her mother is fairly sexually liberated might not have had you know a sex educational conversation with her child because she doesn't want her child to make the same mistakes that she has so it's like she's kind of looking the other way about those type of things and And they don't have a great relationship to begin with (laughs) right the communication barriers between those two characters is like almost the entire point of the movie it's pretty Mm -hmm. pretty much the most dominant the theme of the movie. Um, but yeah, the, I, uh, the Lou Rachel relationship is very fun and refreshing because uh, in large part, because in addition to her being incredibly forthright and upfront, he is as well. The part Mm -hmm. where he's like, are you always this aggressive after sex where he is sort of not afraid to, lay his cards out on the table repeatedly. I think it's a really, really, really refreshing relationship and one of the like underrated great movie relationships that nobody ever talks about. Nobody well, ever talks about. And to be played by Bob Hoskins, who I think historically we think of as kind of like a barking, like yeah. kind of Uberman to be this like forthright, hard on his sleeve kind of guy, I think is really great casting. The only thing I had known him from when I first saw Mermaids was obviously Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is kind of another movie where it takes you a little bit by surprise, or at least me when I was, you know, 11 or whatever, that this, you know, sort of short, stocky, George Costanza-looking person. Listen, is Eddie Valiant, very formative. Very um. like that's a ladies' <laughs> man. Like Joanna Cassidy and and uh, and Bob Hoskins in that movie were a hot couple for sure. Bob Hoskins is a sexy man. Let me tell you, Bob Hoskins is exactly up your alley. Like that makes a ton of sense. That really, really makes. <laughs> Maybe not sense. exactly put... on my alley, but like you know, I don't really have an alley. I, I you know, I have a map. You have an alley. We all. Have I have alleys. a map. <laughs> um, when you, when you Instagrammed a photo of Bob Hoskins from, I can't remember what it was from that you put up last night, but I was like, yeah, Chris, just watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Mona Lisa? No, it's on my list. My, I, I caught I up to it recently and I was like, A, Bob Hoskins is so hot and B, He's incredible in that movie. Yeah, that's his one Oscar yeah. nomination. It was mm-hmm. was it Neil Jordan's first movie or just one of his first movies? I think it's just one of his first movies. I don't know if it's the first movie. Kathy Tyson's yeah. also incredible in it. It's like 
uh, in a way, it's kind of like uh, vibes, but it's not like a wavelength movie. Is he a mobster you know, in that it's movie? It's not like um, it, there's just like kind of this tone to the movie that's very pleasing, but it's not like a strange yeah. movie. You know, is he a mobster in that movie? Is that the deal? Basically, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, he's so good. May That's he exciting. Rest. What a legend. Is it called Mona Lisa because they keep playing the Nat King Cole song or is that uh... <laughs> It is in there. I believe it opens yeah. the movie. Okay, that's 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 the only sort of thing I know about that movie is I've sort of like intuited that like oh I bet like that's a recurring sort of theme. His um, only Oscar nomination, you're right. He almost did for Mrs. Henderson Presents, but that was a movie almost. that just like really didn't exist. He he showed whole hog in that movie and they still didn't nominate him. And the I injustice. Him being very funny. The injustice of it all. Um, he died longer ago than I thought. He died in 2014. Right. I thought it was more recently than that. God, God rest. What a good actor. What a good screen presence. Fun talk show guest too. Like, uh, always seemed like he was a very good time. So, and um, I think pretty beloved by the people that worked with him. If I remember correctly, I could be. I mean, wrong, but like, seems. I've. Like I would believe that. And also, I mean, that for as troubled a production as Mermaids was at the outset, and we'll definitely talk about that, it is a movie that is spoken of in terms of the three actresses, especially Sharon, Winona Ryder, and Christina Ricci, always talk about what a great time they had making that movie. Winona Ryder talked about being able to sort of talk to Cher about boys. She was dating Johnny Depp at the time. Like, I imagine there was a lot to talk about. Christina Ricci talked about what a great sort of first movie to have, you know, under her belt. She talked about, you know, um, filming the Shoop Shoop song video with Cher where it went late into the night and then went back and like had a pajama party at Cher's house. And, and they just seem like it, from all accounts, even like more recent ones, it sounds like they had a great vibe, the three of them. And, if you add to that, that, you know, Hoskins was also somebody that people really loved. Like, I imagine that went a lot of the, a long way towards uh, making what started out as a stressful project mm-hmm. um, into something good. And yeah, and I you think can, a lot of the turmoil seems like getting this movie off the ground not necessarily well it was a lot of the vision of what the movie was going to be and we'll get into that on the other side of the plot description because Mm -hmm. um it was an interesting sort of road to making a movie that doesn't seem from the outset like you would look at you don't look at mermaids and think troubled production right and and i mean sometimes uh, you never can tell but uh yeah, we'll definitely get into it. I'm so excited. Again, one of my favorite movies of all time. It puts a smile on my face, so I'm very glad we're doing this. I Are you ready? Time. I am there. Are you ready? Let me pull my phone out. I never have it at the ready. This is like a recurring theme here with me. Give a give um, us the rundown first, though. Give us the Oh, I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna. Us. We're talking about uh Mermaids from 1990, New directed by Actor, director Richard Benjamin. We'll get into his career. He has a very interesting 
uh, sort of footprint in Hollywood. It was written by June Roberts based on the novel Mermaids by Patty Dan, starring Cher, Winona Ryder, Christina Ricci, Bob Hoskins, Michael Schofling, the only other non-16 Candles movie I remember him being in. <laughs> um, it premiered December 14th, 1990. And that's what we got, Chris. Are you ready for a 60-second plot description? Yeah. All right, then your time starts now. All right, Rachel Flax is a single mother to teenage Charlotte and preteen Kate, and every time she ends another relationship, she uproots her daughters and moves across the country. The beginning of the movie, Rachel moves them to small-town Massachusetts and quickly takes up with a kind and handsome shoe salesman named Lou Lansky. Kate wants to be an Olympic swimmer when she grows up, and Charlotte faces the struggle we all face, getting caught between religious anxiety and being corny on Maine. She quickly develops a crush on local (laughs) convent boy servant, Joe. Charlotte thinks she has an immaculate... Exception, and also Kennedy gets assassinated. Naturally, as Lou gets closer to Rachel, Rachel starts seconds. to push away, debating uprooting her family yet again. At a new after a New Year's party, Charlotte uh, sees Rachel kiss Joe, but then the next day, Charlotte gets drunk and stumbles into losing her virginity with Joe. Meanwhile, nuns save Kate from drowning in a creek, and she's in like a coma, I think. But uh, this brush with death kind of forces Rachel and Charlotte to reconcile their issues, and Rachel agrees to give her relationship with Lou another year uh, before she would move again. Does she love him? Him, I want to know how can we tell that she loves him so it's in her kiss boom minute on the dot very very good maybe the only time I've done that I love that you fulfilled the prophecy as a gay man and almost said immaculate collection instead of immaculate conception <laughs> that is our birthright I feel like that is uh, on a DNA level it's in all of our blood so uh, uh, well done there <laughs> um what are the things you mentioned in there? Uh, our, our convent boy, Joe, could not be a more thinly drawn character. And I think by design, I love how little dimension there is to Joe, the the convent manservant there, where he's all uh, character character bio and not and no actual character, which I think serves the movie well in its sort of shallowness because he's not a person. He is what he represents to Charlotte. Exactly. He is a perfect first crush. He's a little too old for her. He's um, sort of unrealistically innocent and with a dash of sort of tortured, right? He got a girl pregnant when he was younger and uh, the girl had to be sent away and now he works all day, literally like upkeeping the convent up the hill for <laughs> these nuns. These, by the way, fun-loving, robust, awesome nuns like Listen, Paul Verhoeven. The could nuns never. from the nuns having fun calendar are the nuns of Mermaids. Basically, yes. I want to see playing... the like waiting for Godot about those nuns. They're playing like stickball at the beginning or something at the beginning. They're just sort of running around. They're in town, sort of like chatting up Lou at the shoe shop. They are jumping right into that creek to save Katie, like without hesitation. No idea how they saw that that child was uh, drowning. Uh, We love you, Mary. We reject this blasphemy. These are the (laughs) nuns that that we've always wanted. I love them so much. Um... But you can see where Joe is like, oh, of course, that's who uh, Charlotte falls in love with. And the way 
that she kind of pines for him. This is a movie, by the way, I will say, and you can agree or disagree. I think it uses voiceover incredibly cleverly and humorously. No, I agree. I definitely agree. It's never used to like superfluously set the setting. It is almost entirely used for a comedic effect or to like have Rachel or to have Charlotte's sort of inner weird girl. You know what I mean? Like weird. I mean, it's her weird girl, but it's also just like her horny musings a lot of the time. Basically. Yes. That's what I mean. It's like, yes. Uh, The way she's just like, and like tortures herself where he's like, he's talking about his poor dead mother and all I want him to be doing is undressing my, uh, undressing my blouse or whatever. And it's just like, (laughs) yes, exactly. Like it's so these sort of feelings of guilt and, and horniness at the same time. It's so perfect. The way she like hugs him that early time and like starts almost like licking his leather jacket. (laughs) She does lick his leather jacket though. That is very funny. It's Um, very funny. Yeah. And meanwhile, Rachel Flax can see it. Like it's, it's almost like she can read her daughter's mind and she's amused by it. But she's also like, there's a lot of emotion from Rachel to Charlotte in terms of like, this is kind of funny to me, especially because you are outwardly this like weird proto Catholic saints worshiping, <laughs> like always judging me kind of girl, but I know what you're going through inside. And also I'm kind of concerned that you're going to end up knocked up at 17 the way I was. And all of this stuff, right? And it's the more this is one of those this is why I can watch this movie 25 times. The more you watch the movie, the more times you watch the movie, it really deepens just like what a really interesting relationship the two of them have to each other and to themselves mm-hmm. via each other. Well, it's well done. I do think that there's a slight thing there and it could just be you know charlotte is a different kind of teenager than we usually see in these like it's how would you even categorize this movie because it's not like a teen comedy but like when we see stories like charlotte's i don't think we quite see characters like charlotte and when we see stories like rachel's i do think Rachel is maybe closer to the type of character we've seen before. And I think there it it's just not as interesting as Charlotte, but I do still get very invested in Rachel. The the typical sort of part of the structure of this movie is it's the classic inversion of the rebellious kid and the right. the um sort of conservative mom, right? Where the mom is the one who's the libertine and the daughter is the one who wants to be a nun. And yet even within that structure, the daughter finds ways to be rebellious in her own way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting it like if you're talking about what subgenre does this belong to there's a little bit of a coming of age there's a little bit of that like mother daughter tale mm-hmm. and it is a comedy we'll talk about it within the sort of 1990 i want to talk about the golden globe movie uh uh musical or comedy nominees i want to talk year. about orion pictures well so let's sort of start then at the very beginning which is a very very good place to start um <laughs> 1987, I guess March of 88, uh, Cher wins the Academy Award for Best Actress. She finally thinks she's uh, on the road to being someone. She thanks Mary Louise Streep. She uh, 
loses an earring on the way to the stage. Sally Kirkland is beside herself. It's a moment <laughs> for all of us. Um, and then she doesn't make another movie for three years. And busy being a superstar. She's busy being a superstar. In 1989, she releases the album Heart of Stone, which is the album that has, among other things, the Diane Warren banger, If I Could Turn Back Time, which is, I didn't Me. look this up, I imagine it was her biggest hit to her career at the time. I mean, I think it it ultimately gets eclipsed by Believe, but I yes, do think but at that the that's time. true. Yeah, yeah. The music video scandalized a nation. She was basically wearing electrical tape with a little bit of fishnet <laughs> over it. Um, she with started a bunch dating... of sailors who definitely were not ogling her as a sexual object. Right. She started dating the guy at the bagel shop, and um, <laughs> her personal life was for all to consume. She was a fascinating celebrity. Mega um, star. She was, uh, I be- it was probably around this time that she's doing all these interviews about, like, Mom, I am a rich man, and, uh, you know, going on Letterman and giving him shit and all of this stuff. She's an incredible celebrity. That album is, like, all killer, no filler. Maybe there's 1, probably filler. Knowing, knowing the 1980s, there was probably filler. But, like, If I Could Turn Back Time is on that album. Just I like have that Jesse album James. on vinyl. It's no filler. All right, you can attest to it. You have it on vinyl. I do. That's rad. Heart of Stone is also a really good song. Heart of Stone is probably my favorite share song. Have you ever seen the music video for it where it's all like current events, newsreel stuff, which is very funny to me? Yes. Where it's like that Cher's message song. It is Cher's message song. Um, I don't care. It's earnest it's and I love it. It's my favorite share. Song. You put it on a montage of uh, of best of the year stuff a few years ago, and I will never forget well it. Used. It's such. It was very well used. That was a really good montage. I really love it. Also on that album, um, one of my favorites of all time, cheesy as fuck, it's Cher and Peter Cetera duetting on After All, which was Oscar nominated for the movie Chances Are in 1989. Cher had no part in writing that song, so she wasn't nominated herself. It's a sports movie, right? No, Chances Are... There's like a lot of sports songs You're thinking of the Madonna... Uh, uh, Crazy for You, I believe, is from Vision Quest, Great which Madonna I think song. is a sports movie. Uh, yeah. Isn't he a, a, a track runner or something like that? I've never seen Vision Quest. Sure. Uh, no, Chances Are is the movie where, um, oh, what is it? Someone's the dead reincarnation of someone. Sybil Shepard's ex. Hold on, I'm looking it up because I'm going to oh get it. Oh my God, wrong. I might have to watch this. Oh, it's like cheesy as hell um but it's sybil shepherd and robert downey jr and ryan o'neill and the premise is um oh wikipedia you're giving me too much i don't i don't need to read that much okay a reincarnated man unknowingly falls in love with his own daughter from his previous life right ryan o'neill i think it's ryan o'neill dies and is reincarnated as robert downey jr and Sybil Shepherd was Ryan O'Neill's wife. Mary Stuart Masterson is the daughter. And like the daughter, like Mary Stuart Masterson and Robert Downey Jr. like fall in love. It's 80s weird studio pictures as... were fucking wild, man. Exactly. That's I exactly only recently right. found out that um, Against All Odds is like a spy movie or something. Against, oh, I never saw that movie. 
So I have no idea. Well, it, oh. it, I've read the actual plot. Maybe it's not a spy movie, but I read the plot description. And I'm like, that's the plot of the movie that those songs are for? The 1980s trend of hit songs from movies that have absolutely nothing to do with the vibe <laughs> of that song is that really, thing. really, really funny. Um, we need to bring that back. That's, we do need this to bring is that how back. we get pop songs in movies again. That's why the 80s was the golden age of the best original song category. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Maybe it's, it's because true. Disney made us the success of like Disney at the Oscars made us think that it all has to be plot driven original songs. No, you can just shove some bullshit song into a movie somehow. Yes, that's exactly right. You're you're 100% correct. After all, so, it's not bullshit. Great song. No, it's fantastic. Uh, I love After All. One of my favorite songs to do uh, at karaoke, if my friend Dan is listening, my favorite one of my favorite birthday memories is doing After All with him at birthday karaoke. If Joe's um, going to do one thing, he's going to do Peter Cetera at karaoke. Although I did the share part, and Dan of did course. the Peter Cetera part, because his voice is perfectly suited for peter satara and since nobody's voice is perfectly suited for share i might as well have just done it so i just did it. um so has it share hasn't done a movie since moonstruck mermaids is going to be her essential follow-up to her oscar-winning performance and so it's based on a novel it's being developed it's originally going to be directed by lassa hallstrom who is at this point a couple movies after My Life as a Dog. So he's like a bit of a name. And to hear Cher tell it, uh, and I can't remember, I didn't write down exactly where this quote came from, but this was around the time. Like this wasn't like years later. She said, we never He wanted got... something more like traumatic, right? Like He wanted Kate, Christina Ricci, to commit suicide by jumping in the pond and intentionally die. and die. Cher said, we never got to Lhasa. Thank God. He wanted Kate to commit suicide in the pond. And so Cher really, really resisted. He also, she's um, like the only character with a goal in this movie. And yeah. uh, the only character uh, whose goal is not a pole. Um, also, <laughs> also an actress named Emily Lloyd was supposed to play Charlotte and Cher was adamant that she didn't think it was believable that this girl, this blonde girl would look like her daughter. So she wanted that as a recast. So Lassa leaves six weeks before filming is supposed to start. Emily Lloyd leaves is recast with Winona Ryder and they bring in Frank Oz. Now, I Frank don't Oz, know. no stranger to troubled productions. <laughs> this is the thing. I don't know. I've, I really tried to look into this. And I, I, I even uh, texted some people uh, about this because I was like, is Frank Oz just the most unlucky person ever or is there something because like all of these productions, it never says Frank Oz is a nightmare, right? But right. he goes to these things where he like doesn't get along with Brando on the score, doesn't get along with anyone um, on the Stepford Wives. <laughs> right. The Stepford Wives is a disaster. He's like taking responsibility. He's like, I fucked up the Stepford Wives. I fucked up the score. I didn't know how to direct Brando. I thought I had to really challenge him. And it turns out that like I think the unspoken thing is like. At this point, it was the year 2000. Marlon Brando's a bajillion years old. What are you going to tell this guy? You're not going to get anywhere. you're making a schlocky, kind of dumb movie no one cares about. Yeah. He's doing you a solid by showing up. Let Brando do whatever the hell he wants to do. 
basically. Um, there was strife on. Wait, there was another movie. I believe it. I mean, like, so, uh, from where Frank Oz started, you know, it's a different type of production, you know? So it's like you can understand how he would approach material in a different way. Oh, he also directed What About Bob, a favorite of mine, but apparently like Richard Dreyfuss and Bill Murray couldn't stand each other on that set. So it's like none of these things, or not all of these things, seem necessarily the fault of like Frank Oz being this monster or whatever, but he really Mm -hmm. does seem to hop from like troubled production to troubled production. So Frank Oz also wants mermaids to go darker than Cher would like it. And I think Cher at this point is at the peak of her sort of uh, being able to wield some power behind the scenes. Again, she's coming off of her Oscar. She's a giant star and she knew the movie that she wanted to make. And Honestly, for as much as this probably garnered her reputation as being difficult to work with on set, ultimately, I love the movie that Mermaids turned out to be, and I really do feel like Cher pushed for it. And she probably made it a better movie. So uh, Richard Benjamin is ultimately the director who is brought in, who is a actor-director. He had started uh, in movies like Goodbye Columbus and what else was he in? I wrote a bunch down. Very, very interesting career. He's in Catch-22. He was married to Paula Prentice. He was in um, Diary of a Mad Housewife. He's in The Sunshine Boys. Um, He's in a movie called The Last of Sheila that you have seen recently and really loved. My God, I cannot wait to talk to you about that movie. I hope you know absolutely nothing about it when you watch it. It's at the Paris Theater, so I'm seeing it very soon. I'm very excited to see it. Um, And then in the early 80s, he, uh, Richard Benjamin, transitions into being a director. So he directs Peter O'Toole to an Oscar nomination in My Favorite Year. Uh, O'Toole's playing this sort of Errol Flynn type uh, on the set of a movie opposite Mark Lynn Baker, of all people. I always forget who's the uh, screenwriter guy on that. It's Mark Lynn Baker from Perfect Strangers. Um, <laughs> he directs a movie in 1984 called Racing the Moon with Racing with the Moon, rather, uh, with Sean Penn and Nicolas Cage. Uh, sort of World War II guys about to go off to war kind of a thing. I know, gotcha. I like, yeah, Cage and Penn in 1984, right? Um, he is brought in to replace Blake Edwards kind of last minute on a movie called City Heat that starred uh, Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds. I watched the trailer never for heard it. of. N- neither have I. I watched the trailer for it earlier, and the trailer is literally like... Uh, this is not word for word, but it might as well basically be where it's just like Clint Eastwood is the world's grumpiest private eye. Uh, Burt Reynolds is a wisecracking gumshoe. Wisecracking gumshoe is actually a direct quote from the trailer. Um, and what? there are these like, uh, you know, old timey PIs who are, you know, trying to uncover something or another. This is when his directorial career kind of pivots to either things that are outright reviled or become almost like punchlines. But I actually like some of these movies in here. So The Money Pit with Tom Hanks, one of them, Classic. Uh, which I have seen. He directed Sidney Poitier and River Phoenix in a movie called Little Nikita that I've never seen. But like, I do think that speaks to this idea that like Richard Benjamin is who you bring in to direct these very big you know, Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, Sidney Poitier, um, you know, uh, Peter O'Toole, all this sort of stuff, right? Um, My Stepmother is an Alien with Dan Aykroyd and Kim Basinger. Bad which, movie. I've never seen it. It looks bad very movie. bad. 
Apparently, it also starred a, an incredibly young Allison Hannigan, who I guess is the daughter in that, um, which would have been almost a decade before Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? After Mermaids, he does Made in America with Whoopi Goldberg and Ted Danson, kind the of a notorious Ted Danson movie. movie. <laughs> He's not blackface in that movie. It is important to know. That is just they were dating when he did blackface at a Friars Club roast at her behest. Like that is that's all been sort of wrapped up. Danson doesn't do blackface in Made in America. Um, Milk Money, the uh, Melanie Griffith at Harris movie where a bunch of not a good movie, but a family staple of mine. A bunch of kids are horny for Melanie Griffith. That's the plot of Milk Money. They're not really (laughs) horny is the thing. It's like these preteen kids who just want to see okay this is the plot of milk okay give me no, no, give, wait Anne Heche is in this movie I Anne Heche is in this movie Anne Heche is great in this movie may she uh, rest in peace I was so God. so deeply sad about that so we don't have to very get into it. sad um yeah wait so give me the plot of milk money give it to me milk money is about three preteen friends who like sell their video games they make uh the main kid he uh his mother has passed away and his father is ed harris and like they wait it's not an old-timey movie they have video games i thought it was like set in the past they do things like they have yard sales selling their video games what they do is they raise a bunch of money with the intention of going into the city and seeing a lady's boobs so they pay a sex worker melanie griffith who Uh to look at her boobs and it's not even like sexual there's like something sweet about it but like the movie has an interesting relationship to sex work is what i will say melanie griffith has to go on the run so the nice boy who is the son of ed harris who when she takes off her top he actually closes his eyes because he wants to be a gentleman blah 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 blah. yeah uh she ends up like living in his treehouse while she's on the run and then, like, Melanie Griffith and Ed Harris develop a relationship, and then, of course, they, like, a mobster comes after her at the school dance, and, like, it, the it's a nice movie. The golden age of movies where uh, women are on the run from mobsters, so they hide out in interesting places. Exactly, um, exactly. Distract- One of my favorite genres of cinema. Yes. Uh, it sounds Wait. crazy. So at what point does Fergie come into the, the, the film? <laughs> <laughs> is that right is she billed in this movie no didn't she, uh, i'm making a milf money joke oh got, it got, um, it got it got it sunk like a stone okay Sorry. after milk money of course the seminal film mrs winterborn Bomb. starring uh oscar winner shirley mclean and non-oscar winner ricky lake um other movies oh and then marcy uh, x marcy x which i think is the most uh, he's not directed a feature film since uh since marcy x so he's still yeah he's 84 years sherry young, renee scott kicking. cinema oh is sherry renee scott in marcy x she is indeed in marcy x <laughs> let me look at the cast of that movie good golly okay. marcy x a movie i'm willing to bet does not hold up today oh, richard benjamin is also in that right movie now. kudrow krakowski Baranski, Sherry Renee Scott, Vian Cox, um, uh, oh, Matthew Morrison. Wait, Mary Murphy plays herself? Oh, not the Mary Murphy from So You Think You Can Dance, a different Mary Murphy, a news personality. Never mind. I was about to freak out. Um, <laughs> Mary Hart as herself, though. Okay, anyway. Um, 
that's fully a movie mentioned. for gay men, but sure. also problematic. Okay, so Richard Benjamin gets brought in. I imagine he's brought in as a actor friendly director, as I said, and so Cher is able to make the movie that she wants. She was on the record early on in this in uh, the press for Mermaids, saying that. Either she didn't think she gave a good performance in the movie or early on she didn't give a good performance in the movie. It's sort of uh, reported both ways. Um, I think she gives a tremendous performance in this movie. I know Ryder is also great and is the one nominated for the Globe and whatnot and gets the National Board of Review citation. We'll get into those things. But I think Cher is tremendous. I think she's one of the great screen presences and is, you know... Right, always ever. interesting. Yeah. Um, but I and think she gives, a very, she gives a very uh, canny performance in this movie. I think she's uh, she knows where to take this character. It's pretty low-key of a performance for her, too. Yes. It's interesting, like, the whole, like, you know, the public kind of turning against her, at least as a screen presence and as an actress, because, like, I do actually don't really see her... I, I almost feel like she's working against a certain level of star persona or something. It doesn't feel... Yeah. It feels more like Cher, the character actress, than, like, when you consider where she is in her career at this point. Yeah. You would think that this would be more of, like, a movie star performance, and I don't really see that. It has its moments. It it does, but I think... The parts where she and Lou start flirting, where he's like, so, uh, call me Rachel, and she says, so Lou, call me. Or no, he says, call me Lou, and she says, so Lou, call me. Like, all of that sort of, like, very sort of, like, flirty, like, she's really turning it on stuff, is... Her stuff with Hoskins is my favorite of her in this movie. But I do think, largely, for a Cher performance, it's a pretty low-key one. Oh, definitely. And I think the stuff that I love so much about it is the stuff that comes out in smaller moments when she does the, um, when she uh, accidentally slash on purpose uh, cuts the sandwiches into star shapes, like (laughs) that kind of thing where she's, um, you know, reading Peyton Place in the bathtub when she's sort of at her wits end about what to do with Charlotte when she... Oh, the one really, really small moment that I loved that, like, doesn't really have anything to do with the plot so much. After they go to the swim meet where Katie uh, uh, swims on the swim team or whatever, and they're after, they're walking to the car, and the swim coach comes up and sort of catches up to Mrs. Slacks and says, I just wanted you to know that, like, we love Katie so much. We love having her on the team. I really think she has, like, Olympic-level talent. And the way that, like, Rachel is giving barely enough of her attention where she's just like, she's, she doesn't know how to interact with these sort of locals. She doesn't, she's not somebody who wants to be a part of the town, right? Because she's always on the move. She's always ready to pick up and go. And so she's just giving, she's incredibly like casually guarded in that scene. And I was like, that's, the perfect small note of characterization that like nobody's going to remember this scene, but it perfectly like adds up to who Rachel is as character. And then that scene also ends with uh, the swim coach gets into the car with her uh, lady friend and it's totally not commented on at all. And (laughs) I love, there's so many little moments of that stuff in the movie, these sort of like local uh, signs of the times. There's also the moment where we see the TV where Barbara Walters 
is on the Today Show talking about the discotheques in Paris, and and it's a new trend. Note of Barbara it's a Walters dance called the Frug, and she's just, she's out there uh, dancing the Frug. I loved that so much. Yeah, I think it's a very very good share performance. One of my favorites. Um, but I think you are right. I think there is the low keyness really comes across at a time when she was, you know. Like I said, if I could turn back time, like such a big star, such a tabloidy presence. Yeah. And and she's giving something very low key. But it's Winona Ryder who kind of breaks out of this movie. She had really been, really been leading up to it with, she was on a streak. She was in Beetlejuice in 88. These are among other movies. She's in Roxy Carmichael. She's in uh, Lucas. She's in Great Balls of Fire, whatever. But like Beetlejuice 1988 Heather's 1989, and then Edward Scissorhands is released the week before Mermaids comes out. So, and like, again, she's dating Johnny Depp. Like, she's the hot young actress. Actress. She's mm-hmm. like, she's not, like, I think there was a big uh, point to, like, she is, this is an actress. She's not like a flirt, a flitty little, like, movie star kind of a thing. Well, and then basically after this, she immediately starts working with major like filmmakers like Scorsese and Coppola. Well, right, she, she had is a headliner after that with Little Women. Reportedly, she had gone from the Mermaids set to Italy to start filming The Godfather Part Three because she had been cast right. as Mary Corleone, and from like. I don't know what the official story is, how much of this is, but like the, the, what has been reported at various times. She showed up on set. She was supposed to get out and start filming a scene. She didn't come out of her trailer. Depp was there on set with her. She was apparently not feeling well. And the, one of the stories that came out was this sort of like, she went through a bout of nervous exhaustion and she couldn't play the role and so they had to recast and it ended up being Sofia Coppola quite notoriously uh, but Andy Garcia has said in at least one interview where he was like yeah I never I never saw Winona Ryder on the set of that movie like she never came out yeah. of a trailer essentially she would have been too young I mean like for that role Sofia Coppola was pretty young too I think that was sort of part of the problem the well and also that the character is this sort of like she's such a young person getting handed this you know responsibility within the corleone family and all this sort of stuff but so that was kind of a notorious moment but the reviews for winona in mermaids are really good and edward scissorhands certainly helps because that movie was also hugely well received and and you're not going to if if it's a performer having a real moment uh, between these two performances edward scissorhands is not the one that they're going to gravitate to right to recognize her right so she kicks off the 1990 awards season winning best supporting actress for the national border review which is not a bad way to kick off award season. <laughs> it's a pretty influential NBR. Sometimes sort of the National Border Review waxes and wanes as to how pre- uh, predictive they are, how influential they are. But like their best picture that year was Dances with Wolves, which ends up being the best picture. She g- they give uh, that movie picture and director. Joe Pesci wins their supporting actor award. He ends up winning the Oscar. Um, they give best actor to a shared 
uh, award for Robert De Niro and Robert Robin Williams in Awakenings. De Niro ends up nominated for Oscar. Their best actress goes to Mia Farrow for Alice, who doesn't get nominated. Mia Farrow has sort of famously never been nominated for an Oscar. Um, Alice, I believe, gets a screenplay nomination that year. Um, but even NBR's top 10 that year was pretty sort of on point in in a lot of ways, where it's Dances with Wolves, it's the Mel Gibson Hamlet, um, Goodfellas, Awakenings, Reversal of Fortune, which is what Iron Jeremy Irons wins his Oscar for, Miller's Crossing, which is like this hugely beloved now uh, Cohen's movie, Whit Stillman's Metropolitan, Mr. and Mrs. Bridge, the uh, uh, James Ivory, uh, Merchant Ivory movie with... Which uh, gets uh, Joanne Woodward nominated. Which gets jo- Joanne Woodward nominated. She's in it with... Uh, she's in it with Paul Newman, right? It's yes, the two of them together. Yes. Did, have you watched the, the last movie stars? Not yet. I want to. Is it good? Okay, when I finished it, I find it to be on top of all the other shit uh uh with hbo max right now i was so annoyed that i didn't have like five joanne woodward movies that i couldn't watch the second that it was over yeah yeah i will say hbo does a good job with their documentaries about people in hollywood i loved their spielberg documentary i loved their uh, nora efron doc i don't know but it's good um Anyway, rounding out the NBR top 10 that year was Avalon, uh, Barry Levinson's Avalon, which gets a screenplay nomination, and then The Grifters, which gets a handful of nominations, including Angelica Houston and uh, and Annette Bening. So, mm-hmm. Which, if you're using basically the Globe analog for uh, Winona Ryder, Annette Bening, for some reason, is not nominated at the Globes, but does not. get basically um, Winona Ryder's spot. Right. So the Golden Globes do nominate Winona. They nominate six that year. It's Whoopi Goldberg wins it for Ghost before sort of precursoring her Oscar. Lorraine Bracco's nominated, Diane Ladd for Wild at Heart, and Mary McDonald for Dances with Wolves. All of them would end up in the Oscars uh, lineup. Shirley MacLaine for Postcards from the Edge is nominated. Still one of the more mystifying, I can't believe, that never got the Oscar nomination performances. Like It has to be because it's smaller than you expect it to be, the role. It is smaller than you expect it to be, but because it is a former Oscar winner playing essentially Debbie Reynolds in this, you know, movie that people in Hollywood really liked at the time. I remember it being like such a thing. Streep's nominated. I don't know. Um, and then Winona Ryder is the sixth nominee that year for uh, for Mermaids. And then if you looked at the other sort of big precursors, it was a little bit over the map, right? Whoopi wins the Globe. Winona w- wins NBR. Lorraine Bracco wins uh, Los Angeles Film Critics uh, Award. With a runner-up, it says here, which I love, Diane Weist for Edward Scissorhands, who I would have definitely nominated. She's so good in that movie. She's tremendously good in Edward Scissorhands. The performance that would probably get closer on my ballot from that movie is, of course, the legendary Kathy Baker. Oh, of course. Horny, horny neighbor extraordinaire Kathy Baker. Um, And then New York film critics went for Jennifer Jason Leigh for two performances in Last Exit to Brooklyn and Miami Blues. So that category was kind of all over the map and kind of wide open. Uh, Annette Bening... Makes complete sense that Whoopi won, especially if, you know, there's that kind of spread. Totally. Here's what doesn't make sense, as far as I'm concerned. That 
I mean, whatever. I can bitch and moan about Mermaids not getting nominated for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy, and Cher not getting nominated for Best Actress, Musical, or Comedy. I, like, Julia Roberts wins Best Actress, Musical, or Comedy at the Globes for Pretty Woman, obviously. That is a no-brainer. She deserves it. She was an Oscar nominee. All of that. Other nominees were Meryl for Postcards from the Edge. She's an Oscar nominee. She's Meryl. Makes sense. Andy McDowell for Green Card, which, which the, the Hollywood Four Impressed loved. Green loved Card. it. They gave it Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy, and they gave Gerard Depardieu Best Actor, Musical, or Comedy. So like, they Some, fucking this is loved the same Green year Card. as Cyrano, right? Because he gets the nomination for Cyrano. So oh you, yes, yes. So he, like, some of yeah. that has to be like all of it happening at the same time he's probably not going to win for Cyrano but they do give him a win for Green Card sure but also to give Green Card best picture is like they a love lot. that movie it's a lot um Peter Mia Weir Farrow, am I crazy to re- Peter Weir is that Peter yep. Weir yeah Mia Farrow also ends up nominated uh for Alice and then the fifth nominee Demi Moore for Ghost now no shade against Demi Moore I think she cries beautifully in that movie. I think she's not... A lot of people thought she was bad at that movie. I don't think she's bad. I don't like dumping on Demi Moore, but, like, she is not bad in that movie. It's kind of a nothing part, but nominating that performance is... odd to me. Also... Granted, we forget Ghost made, like, an insane amount of money. Like Ghost made an insane amount of money. It ends up being a Best Picture nominee at the Oscars. Ghost is not a comedy. Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost is giving a comedic performance. Ghost People don't know how to have this conversation, though. Ghost is not a comedy. I am not budging on this one. Like, it is. it starts with a murder. It ends with tears <laughs> and someone ascending to heaven. The little demon ghost that takes Tony Goldberg away are pretty funny. It is a drama with a wonderful piece of comedic relief within it that deservedly won the Oscar in Whoopi Goldberg. But that's not a comedy. Right. Mama, that's not that's not <laughs> a comedy. But it's also a movie for ladies, and they love mm. to kind of look down their nose at them, but all by like saying, "Well, comedies yeah. are lesser dramas." Ghost basically. and so Pretty it's like Woman it's a convergence of yeah, Ghost and Pretty Woman losing the uh, Best Picture Musical or Comedy to Green Card at the Globes is is truly wild. Um, no, that's goofy behavior. Anyway, uh, so. After that, uh, the Golden Globes is sort of the height of of where Winona goes with the mermaids, and it's not really nominated anywhere else. I will mention, under protest, that Cher wins the Yoga Award, which is the Spanish Razzies, for Worst Foreign Actress for Mermaids, which... Fuck you, Spain. Joe's <laughs> <laughs> throwing up two birds. I'm going to okay. throw up the birds to Spain. Have we ever had a yoga... We've we've had so many yoga worst actress award winners that we've talked about. Has there ever been one where we're like, yeah, we agree? I don't think there has been. No. Who not that we've examples? talked about. It's like uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Mother. It's... Well, you have a better memory than we've I do. We've maybe not so. had one in a while, but we... we I mean, we, we love talking about the yoga awards. Yeah. So... um. Mermaids, I think, goes on to have a pretty robust life. It made like $35 million, whatever. It opened in a real competitive weekend. It opened the fifth week of Home Alone, which Home Alone is busy juggernauting its way through uh, the American box office. Um, Look Who's Talking 2 premiered that weekend, which um, 
yeah, take the L that you've lost to Look Who's Talking to the uh, Look Who's Talking sequel. I will say the amount of times I've watched Mermaids, I've watched both of the first two Look Who's Talking movies a ton. Maybe not in the last 20 years of my life, but certainly <laughs> in your child. when I was younger, that was a classic. We used to have a lot of sleepovers at my aunt's house, and she had a very limited number of VHSs, maybe like 15 VHSs that we cycled through. Look Who's Talking was one of them, and we watched that movie <laughs> A fuck ton. I will okay, say. so I'm watching Pretty Woman as a child. Pretty Woman was another VHS that my no funny as yeah. a child. I am yeah. watching Look Who's Talking Too, which has an entire fertilization sequence of cum. I have to turn off mermaids as a child. I'm just calling bullshit on my family. Let's. My we parents. need to relitigate that. Yeah, it is. Oh, I learned so much about life earlier than I should have. From I learned. <laughs> look, who's uh, look who's talking mentions bulimia this is the first time i ever th- heard about bulimia about postpartum depression about um it's uh, how i learned what a diaphragm is i'm pretty sure kirstie alley talks about how her boobs g- got bigger after uh having the baby um w- olympia dukakis as kirstie alley's mother in that movie constantly uses the term frozen pop when she's talking about uh Kirstie Alley going to get artificially artificially inseminated. Who's the frozen pop? Um, it's oh. a lot of information, just a lot, and For not to PG mention, film. as you said, the the sort of the uh, inner biology of it all. Um, it's an education. I'll Is say it that. Look who's talking, or look who's talking to. Where Travolta does a Schwarzenegger impersonation to a poster for Total Recall. Only thing I remember about. Well, it would have to be Look Who's Talking too, because Total Recall was 1990, and I think Look Who's Talking was 89. So, um, uh, I will say, speaking of uh, actors you are sexually attracted to, Elias Koteas is in Look Who's Talking too, playing Kirstie Alley's uh, sort of uh, fail son brother. Oh, yeah. So I'm into that. Yeah. Uh, interesting little tidbit. At the very end of Look Who's Talking sort of into the credits, you see the younger sister being born and her inner monologue, because the whole concept of Look Who's Talking is that Bruce Willis is doing the inner monologue of the baby. And at the end, you see the girl being born and her inner monologue is played by Joan Rivers in that scene. And then when the sequel comes along, they cast Roseanne as the the young daughter. Anyway. (sighs) Yes. Okay, so also opening that weekend, or not opening that weekend, also in theaters that weekend. I mentioned it's the second week of Edward Scissorhands. Dances with Wolves is in its sixth week. Dances with Wolves was a hit, honey. Like, people, that was in the culture. That movie, pervasive. Uh, uh, Everybody had that. I remember my uncle had that soundtrack on vinyl. Uh it's a really good soundtrack, I will say. For as my much mom as lives say, for that movie. She thinks Kevin Costner is so sexy. My mom is like on the Kevin Costner thing. It's like, if I ever tried to explain to her why Kevin Costner saying neat to Madonna makes him null and void, it would not compute. I will say, you must remember this, this most recent season, Erotic 80s, did a very good job of reminding people what was definitely true at the time, which was people were horny for Kevin Costner. It was 
a lot of it was Bull Durham, but I remember like when he does Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and it's the like long distance shot of Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio as Maid Marian, sort of spying on him, sort of naked under the waterfall. I remember that was like a big deal where it was like Kevin Costner butt shot in a movie. And um yeah, so uh it was it was a time. It was a time to be alive. It was indeed sure. a time. Okay, so you brought up Dances with Wolves, which is yes. the best picture winner of this year, also in Orion's picture as yes. well as Mermaid. Mermaids is actually smack dab right in between the calendar of two best picture winners because two months later, Silence of the Lambs comes out. Oh fuck. That's right. Silence of the Lambs was in theaters when that previous year's oscars were happening correct because i believe doesn't hopkins present at that oscars and don't they in hold on i'm bringing this up is that Um, they never wheeled him out with the hannibal lecter mask they do it with crystal they do it with crystal the year that sounds of the lambs won it was that was the year that sounds of the lambs was nominated but um hold on a second let me find it yeah, Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins together present the uh, screenplay awards at the 1990 Oscars because that movie was already a big deal yeah. uh, in theaters at the time. I can't imagine that they thought that it would last a year and the next year we'd be talking about it as a Best Picture nominee and eventual winner. But uh, yeah, they presented together at that Oscars. So interesting tidbit. So yeah, so Orion was Orion's a real interesting uh, uh, piece. Best of work Picture winner for Platoon. The, it, when you go back and actually look at their lineup of stuff, it's like a real range of you know you have those movies that kind of became awards prestige movies. They were the first ones uh, putting out Coen Brothers movies. Like they have like gaudy comedies. They also have full trash action movies. And, you know, famously, like, Orion now is, like, more famous for their collapse, right, than for being anything else. And because... It is kind of of resurgent now a little bit. I feel like I'm seeing a lot more Orion. Can we talk about the new logo, the new... The hideous new logo that, like, makes you think that you're in Key West or something? No, bring back the iconic original Orion logo, please and thank you. The original Orion logo, which shows the, the constellation of Orion, and then all the stars in it form a circle and start spinning around in a circle. That is the only Orion I want or need. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But even after Orion's collapse, you would still have Oscar nominations and wins like uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's really bad Oscar nomination for Love Love Field Yeah. uh, in the year of Catwoman. If nothing else proves my point about what I was saying with Winona Ryder, um, Mermaids versus Edward Scissorhands, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer getting nominated for Love Field. Also, the collapse of Orion was, uh, that was um, the reason the blue sky was on the shelf for all that time, right? Yes, yes. And then a few years later, when nobody can kind of make any other decisions, they give Jessica Lange a second Oscar, making up for the fact she didn't win lead for Francis because it's the same year as Sophie's Choice, for a... I would say genuinely terrible performance in Blue Sky. The thing about Blue Sky is it was filmed a few months before Orion went bankrupt. And so it had to sit on a shelf. It was also filmed 
like a year before Tony Richardson, the director, died. So right. by the time the movie comes out, the studio that made it is gone. The director who directed it is dead. And it was this real curiosity. And I think that all probably contributed to this sense that this was a sort of a a, a story this Lang performance right. was a story, but like that performance swept that year. That won all the precursors. And like when you watch the performance and you know that about it, it's like surely there was someone else. Surely there was someone else. Well, we've talked a ton about the '94 Best Actress list. We, I, right. I maintain the fact that if Jodie Foster was not already a two-time Oscar winner, She'd she win would have now. probably won for Nell. Whether some people would have also thought that a pretty over-the-top. Uh, Best actress win is another story, but I think we definitely talked won. about this. Our River Wild episode, probably because I think Meryl should have been nominated for the River Wild. Winona Ryder, by the way, also nominated in '94 for Little Women. Um, probably who I would pick to win a better performance than the one that won for sure. Um, yeah, it's a real. That's also the year that um, Linda Fiorentino is not eligible for The Last Seduction because it uh, aired on HBO before it made it into theaters. So there's a lot of stuff about 94 Best Actress. Definitely, definitely. Um, Orion, though, the since like uh, the rebirth basically of United Artists and now the purchase by Amazon, it's going to be very interesting to see how they... Uh, how like Orion's identity kind of develops, especially after the Amazon of it all. Their yeah. two releases this year are going to be Till and Women Talking, which mm. definitely kind of, considering United Artists' slate, um, definitely looks like they're going to be using Orion as a focus features, as a searchlight, as a uh, what have you. They're more... Uh, Adult fair, their uh, awards yeah. slate, yeah, etc. All right, at some point, and we'll just, let's just do it now because I'm gonna have to just sort of run through all of my favorite quotables from this movie because there really <laughs> Go are for it. just a lot. It's just a lot. Christina Ricci in her little bathrobe, sneaking red wine and saying "Hit me, Sergeant" when she wants the when she wants another <laughs> refill is. Very funny to me. It's a thing my sisters and I will say to each other constantly. Um, Christina Ricci also with the pumpkin atop her head, uh, <laughs> wandering into the kitchen, barely able to lift her head off of the ground. And she just says, Rachel, flax. It's, she's so cute in this movie. Like, genuinely, Christina Ricci is um, a doll. All of the Charlotte voiceover stuff where she's talking about, I may be pregnant with the next Jewish Italian messiah. Um, is very funny. All the stuff where she is in the doctor's office once he does the exam on her and he's like, come into my office. And he's basically trying to be like, why do you think you're pregnant? You are still a virgin. And she's like, I just want to die. And all the stuff where she's telling herself to shut up, I think is very funny. The um, whole sequence of her going and basically... Uh running a ruse on that family that she runaways to and says that her name is Sal Val. Sal Val and her brother Al. <laughs> She's out of her mind in that sequence and it's so funny. Like Winona is so incredibly like she 
it's that self-awareness of this girl who knows that she's off the rails and cannot stop herself. And, and it's really very funny. Um, Lou painting that hideous painting of uh, of Rachel as She's Cleopatra. like, if you paint me like them, I'll leave you, or something like that. Well, and, and then he does the, what it, he paints of her is worse. It's so bad. It's so bad. And yet, I will say, I want to live in that under the sea room he does for Katie with the light, the sort of very cool uh, kids room. Oh my god. It looks so calming. It looks so incredibly like soothing to be able to just sleep under that. The sort of reflections in the uh, in the light and whatever. It's so good. Um, the scene in the shoe store at the beginning where she won't, she can't talk to the nuns, but all she's thinking is like, I desperately wanted to ask her what color her bra was and whether she has pure thoughts every single day. Meanwhile, Rachel's talking about like your feet swell when you're pregnant. And she's like, <laughs> mother, how could you say that? She's a holy vessel. <laughs> um, oh, it's just really, really good. I, I, I'm. He when she meets Lou and he talks about can you imagine trying to keep kosher in a place like wherever he said he was living in and she just says I can't imagine trying to keep kosher anywhere like how do you make keeping the phrase keeping kosher sound that flirty just like only share knows genuinely only share knows um, the scene of share angrily chopping up what I believe is peanut brittle or it may be rice krispie I treat it was rice krispie treats okay. just at any angle she does it uh, diagonally just first furiously, and then it's just, just like. Chop, chop, chopping. It's so, uh, all of this, uh, I mean, all the stuff with food is very funny. Uh, the scene where they're having breakfast at Lou's house that very first time where he's, uh, um, they've got an actual, like, you know, breakfast. And all of a sudden he turns around and Katie's up on the counter and Rachel's behind the little island and uh, Charlotte's sitting on the little stool. Nobody's sitting at the table, and they all just sort of like turn and look at him. And it's that shot of the three of them together, all sort of like, you know, that meme about how like gay guys can't sit normal. It's like that, <laughs> but it's it's these three <laughs> women, and he's just like all the times he sort of like looks at them, sort of bum fuzzled. It's very very funny. Um, what else? Sorry, I've written down like a bajillion things. I do just I fucking love this movie so much. Um, bah, 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 bah. Charlotte were Jewish at the very beginning is such a great sort of like scene setter. And then she brings it back at the end where she says, Charlotte, Charlotte we're, we're not, not Greek. Greek. Um, oh, this doesn't have anything to do with uh, the movie itself, but sort of, I read an interview in interview magazine in 2016 that Tavi Gevinson actually conducted with Winona Ryder. This I imagine was coinciding with early stranger things. And they sort of talked a lot about Winona's early career and whatever. She talked about how I think the subject of Judy Garland came up at some point about sort of the perils of being a young star and how much the studio sort of preyed upon her. And Winona said that at the time, her parents were very cautious of that kind of thing. And they said at one point on the set of Mermaids, they weren't there briefly for like a brief moment. And during that time, the producers uh, gave Winona a B12 shot, which in the grand scheme of things is like not super dangerous. But she said her parents came back and found out and really kind of freaked out and were like really, really 
guarded. Someone tells you that it's a B shot, B twelve shot doesn't mean well, you know that it's a B twelve shot. And just the fact that there was this thing was undertaken without their overview and without their permission, and apparently they were just very protective of her in that way. I thought it was very interesting. It's a really interesting interview, actually, for as much as like the. Tavi Gevinson of it all sort of like makes you roll your eyes a little bit, but like she talks about how at the time all these sort of roles, she said she really, really, really wanted Heathers and she could tell that the casting people didn't think she was pretty enough. She said the people who were casting Heathers wanted to cast Jennifer Connelly. She talks about how she was constantly at the time losing out roles to Martha Plimpton. She, she mentions she lost out on Mosquito Coast and Running on Empty and Stanley and Iris all to Martha Plimpton. She was like, Martha was <laughs> kicking my ass at the time. Um, and she's like very complimentary. She's like, she was incredible. What a great, you know, presence or whatever. But she's like, I, Basically, just like I couldn't get over on on Martha Plimpton at that moment in my career. Um, so check it out if you haven't. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a tremendous movie. I love it very much. It's very uh, it's very dear to me. This movie, I will say. Don't understand why Rachel would want to move away from the Massachusetts coast. Oh I'm my just God. like, but look at where you are. <laughs> it's I believe the town of Eastport is a fictional town, but essentially it was filmed in Rockport, which um is a real town in northern Massachusetts, north uh eastern uh coast of Massachusetts, up towards like New Hampshire and Maine and that kind of thing. And it looks what a beautiful town. Like genuine they're on mm-hmm. this in this little sort of out of the way house right by the water. And they've got this porch swing that like really keeps recurring and keeps recurring. It's um, can't be more than a two hour drive from Provincetown. I mean, that's where you need to settle. Well, the thing about Provincetown, I mean, it's probably you'd probably be a lot closer by like boat. Um, Because the thing about (laughs) Provincetown is just like you have to drive. If you're driving, you're driving the whole length of the Cape. I did it. So basically, you're basically just sort of like tracing the entire coast of Massachusetts <laughs> to get from uh, Rockport to. Uh, it's to fabulous. Um, I do love Cape Cod. I've never been to Provincetown. One of these years, maybe. Anyway, um, what else did I mention? God, they're doing some kind of construction outside. If you were probably hearing on my side of the audio, just rebar being thrown <laughs> hither and yon outside <laughs> my window. So uh, I don't know what that's about. Yeah, I don't know. I love it. I love this movie. Anything Very good you movie. Else have to say? What was that? What throw throw me some things that you loved about this movie. I'm I'm gushing too much. I mean, no. I mean, I think we we covered a lot of it. This is a highly rewatchable movie. This is yeah. like a perfect Saturday morning movie. Um, the music's really fun. It's all very sort of like traditional, like songs you expect from this time, but like. I think it's all pretty well chosen. Um, the recurrence of uh, Fever, the Peggy Lee uh, <laughs> Fever, when uh, Rachel sings it, and then later when Charlotte's trying to be like her mother, she sings it is very funny. Um, we get some Blame It on the Bossa Nova, which is a good time had by all. It's good. It's an interesting, like, this early 60s thing. We talked about a little bit on... Um, a Walk on the Moon, that sort of like, you know, late 60s, Woodstock era milieu. The early 60s thing is a really interesting moment in time because it was right before this cultural upheaval really started happening. But you are still like the Kennedy assassination looms large over this story. And that sort of you get a little bit of the sense of 
how much that affected people, how sort of the mood that that cast over everywhere in this movie. And it's an interesting time to set something, I will say. Right. And specifically like as a conscious choice, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can we talk about the very, very last scene where they're dancing in the kitchen? Where they're just dancing and you get that slow push in on... I mean, you feel a little bit like Kate has been left out of it because it really ultimately is about Charlotte and Rachel. But but um, they do get that scene like as as that scene as that scene moves along, they're all sort of like setting the table or whatever, and they're all kind of like you know pitching in and doing their part or whatever. But it really becomes you really feel like you're watching Cher and Winona Ryder just palling around by the end where they're like doing the dance moves in sync they're doing the monkey and they're doing the the head bob (laughs) thing um and they're like tossing like cheese puffs into their mouth and whatever and it's so joyful i know the idea of the like mothers and daughters dancing around a kitchen thing has become sort of like a notorious trope that a lot of people kind of scoff at and sneer at even though it works on me Almost every time, like practical magic, <laughs> lime in the coconut. I am in, baby. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, we, it is something we need to bring it back. I mean, like, it feels less crunchy in Mermaids, and maybe it's because it's punctuating the end of the movie, and it's yeah. like that scene actually is serving a dramatic purpose. But, um, and it yeah, just leaves cool. you on such a it's a great note to go out on because it really t- does come well, no, because they have the big, uh, fight scene where Cher slaps her also classic Cher slap like love a movie with like a full arm like snap out of its slap right where she that's what you need it. in your next trivia that you assemble is actors who have been slapped on screen by Cher well so the sort of vaunted uh, videology trivia that I used to go to that gets mentioned a lot on uh, various podcasts because it was so fun um and something that I my own when I write my own trivia, it aspires to. Um, the bartender there, this sort of big, burly, gay bartender who I adored. I thought he was so nice. Um, every once in a while, he didn't really participate in trivia, but every once in a while, he would ask to write a video round. And it would be 20 slaps from movies shown in <laughs> rapid succession. And you had to like write down as quickly as possible what you thought they were and then that was it It was like 20 slaps and you just have to get them or you have to get them in order you had to get them in order like you had to like before the round started he's like number your paper one through 20 you're gonna go through them it wasn't like so like you got like a second and a half you know what i mean you got like beat 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 whatever um but it was 20 slaps right in a row you had to write them down and then it was like you got however many minutes to like deliberate but like that was all you got and it was so fun. I oh, I fucking loved every time they did that. It was Listen, a time. I know we're tired of talking about it, but you know what's not going to be on the next year's Oscar ceremony in slaps. any montages? This any true. slaps. You I know. will not see Cher saying snap out of it. R.I.P. R.I.P. that most beloved clip. You're never going to see it at the Oscars again. You're absolutely anyone, right. Uh, anyone who is a cast member of the slap is not invited. Deborah um, Winger and Anne Hathaway are uh, forbidden from uh, uh, recreating their moment in Rachel getting married. It's totally true. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. End of an era. Truly end of an era. 
Snap out of it, indeed. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that scene happens. They have their big sort of finally they're able to talk to each other after this entire movie of like just absolute inability to communicate with each other. They finally do. And then you get that sort of flash ahead where it looks like they're moving away, but they're really going to visit Cooperstown and things with Lou are going pretty okay. And Rachel likes him a little bit more than she, you know, wants to let on. And it goes right from that to, uh, I heard that mom was going to make a main course tonight, says Katie. (laughs) And then she comes out of the car and she like twirls around this new dress on a hanger that she has. And they're like, meh. And then it's the dancing scene in the kitchen. And that's the end of the movie. It really just knows when to make a very winning exit. For a movie, it's almost two hours, which you could probably, I'm sure there are people who are like, that movie's too long. But, um, and I wouldn't, disagree even though i wouldn't trade of the movie like what you would cut out of that movie is her going to the gynecologist because she thinks that she's pregnant or you'd cut short the connecticut excursion you'd cut short the thing where she goes and sees the family which i wouldn't trade um for anything it's so funny it's so funny it's so incredibly funny talk just like and it's also very revealing of her character where she really is talking about how I have a family with a mom and a dad and we play games and we're very traditional and we, you know, we have all these things that we do together all the time. And she sounds unhinged, but she's also just sort of like spinning out this family she wishes she had. And mm-hmm. um, it's also a really interesting story about a mom who mom's her own way but like really feels like she has the limitations of that where she just Mm -hmm. doesn't know how to get through to charlotte and there are moments where you look at her and you're just like just be a little bit less confrontational with her and she'll open up to you and she can't do it because she's also a person with personality traits and limitations and foibles and whatnot so like you can see where these women are sort of you know, coming at odds with each other. But it's a really interesting movie about like communication styles. Like, honestly, I took a lot of communication. I was a communication studies major in college. And so we would take classes on like comm theory and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, every once in a while, they'd show us like clips from movies or maybe even entire movies about like that would illustrate concept of communication style. Like you could really, really instruct somebody on like, uh, barriers in communication style from their relationship in this movie because they are just at cross purposes. Um, I'm gonna know. be like, Rachel is an ENFP. <laughs> Basically, yeah. God, I never know what my her my, love language is. Words of affirmation. I I don't. I'm always up a creek when people talk about that. They're uh, they're Myers Briggs and they're whatnot. I don't remember. I I I could take that quiz a hundred times and I would never walk away from it remembering what my letters are, but <laughs> alas. Um, all right. Anything else before we jump into IMDb game? Uh, you know, the closest I have ever come to joining TikTok is when I found out from my friend Ryan that Cher is on TikTok. And I don't think she's posted since then, but her introduction to TikTok is a video of her clearly doing several trial runs of being like 
hi, I'm on TikTok now, blah, 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 blah. She does costume changes, outfit changes, and all these different versions of being like, hey, it's me, Cher, on TikTok. And like one time she just comes in, she's like, you know who I am, but now I'm on TikTok. It's wonderful. (laughs) That's great. I love that. All right. Why don't you tell our listeners what the IMDb game is? Uh, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we'll get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Woohoo! We love IMDb. a free-for-all of hints. All right, Chris, would you like to give first or guess first? Um, how about I guess first? All right. So I mentioned that uh, that Winona Ryder interview where she talked about losing out on all of those roles in the mid 80s to Martha Plimpton. So <gasps> why don't you just do Martha Plimpton? Martha. Yes. No television. No voiceover. 200 cigarettes. No, unfortunately, she's so good in that. Yeah. She is um, uh, a version of a Clarissa Vaughn. In that movie. <laughs> always throwing a party to cover the silence um she also talks shit about love story in that movie which is a terrible <laughs> movie and she was right to do so ali mcgraw by the way from love story got the golden globe for uh, most promising newcomer for goodbye columbus co-star- uh, co-starring richard benjamin oh um <laughs> okay martha plimpton's gonna be hard um it's gonna be a little hard yeah Shy people. What's One that? of the Joe Claybergs I need to see. No. Because um, I love Joe Clayberg. What is it called? Shy people? I've never heard of it. No, it's not. Damn it. <laughs> All right. So two strikes right off of the bat. Your choices are 1985, 1986, 1989, and 1996. So no mask. Thank God. Um, Mass. Oh, Mass. Oh, Mass. I was like, I don't remember her in Mask. Guess who was the first person to mention that movie in a year? Me. Yeah, you bring this on yourself, my friend. Um, nobody cares. Um, uh, uh, so Mask, I'm guessing, is one of them. No, 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 no. I, I was gonna say, mask. is she in Mask no, and Mass? So. No, I just thought that's what you were saying. Uh, running on empty, though. No, again, you would think so, but no. Wow. Okay, the Goonies. I yes. should have said the Goonies right off. You should have said the Goonies right off. Yes. I only have one, and I'm running yeah. out of Martha Plimpton movies that I know. Um, uh, one of them was one of those movies that Winona mentioned. She lost out to Martha for. Which um, one of them was running on empty? I forget the other two now. Starring a major star, especially a major star of the 80s. Mosquito Coast. Mosquito Coast with uh, Harrison Ford. Yep. Also Peter Weir. Also a Peter Weir movie. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so I need two more. They're yeah. both from the 80s. One of them, she plays daughter to an actress who was Oscar-nominated for the role. Ooh. Oh, uh, no, it's Parenthood. It's Parenthood. Diane Weist. Exactly. Parenthood. Correct. So you're missing 1996. It's an ensemble movie. Oh, 96. Um, ensemble indie comedy. I really loved it. It is endlessly problematic i imagine is it beautiful we, girls it is beautiful girls yes yeah. problematic fave of mine beautiful girls i've 
not rewatched it in full. It is uh, full of a lot of objectionable characters. It has both Michael Rappaport and Matt Dillon. And also <laughs> Timothy Hutton, who is romancing kind of Natalie Portman, who is canonically 14 in that movie. And yet, wow. it was a very early indie fave of mine that I really latched onto. And I will say, a lot of that movie is a critique of those behaviors. Right. Whether a movie needed to be made to sort of like kindly critique those behaviors is, <laughs> you know, you could, is a matter for debate. But like, Uma's really good in that movie. Um, fucking who uh uh mir sorvino is actually better than that movie and then the big rosie o'donnell angry monologue where she talks about like uh you know you guys are obsessed with uh models and whatnot and you need to get your shit together and whatnot is still incredible and i will go and watch that uh <laughs> still on its own because i think she's just uh uh tidal wave in that scene i don't know beautiful girls problematic faith good job with Martha Plimpton. Fantastic. So for you, I chose somebody who we could discuss not only from the Oscars that year in the category that Winona Ryder could have placed, but also the Yoga Awards, where you said that Cher uh-huh. was named Worst Foreign Actress. This just seems... I, I need to understand where they were coming from because it just seems mean. The winner of Worst Foreign Casting was Diane Ladd, shared with Wild at Heart and Rambling Rose. Oh, wow. Her two Oscar Worst nominations. Worst foreign casting. Are you saying you don't want Diane Ladd to be gainfully employed? What, yeah, that what, seems petty. That seems the, real petty. Did people think she was miscast in things? I don't understand. Um, anyway, for you, I have Diane Ladd. Okay. Well mermaids but with laura dern and diane ladd i mean honestly like do it but do it now have laura dern play 14 years old or 15 years old now (laughs) um i'm gonna guess alice doesn't live here anymore the incredible Alice doesn't live here. She's anymore. also Oscar nominated for that, right? She's got three Oscar nominations. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I love that Oscar nomination too, because it's like that's the type of performance and the type of character that we're like at the end of the year doesn't get like any type of awards recognition. And mm-hmm. we're like, you know who is actually incredible? Diane Ladd and Alice doesn't live here anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. That movie makes me cry. I love that movie so much. I'm going to say it's not both Wild at Heart and Rambling Rose, but I'm going to say Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart, correct. Okay. No television. No television. So no uh, enlightened. uh, enlightened. No television. She's so good on that show. Speaking of stuff, she's in with Laura Dern. Okay. (laughs) Diane Ladd. She's in... National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which is a hugely popular movie, but it's a very small role. Um, she walks into that movie and asks Johnny Galecki, who's playing her grandson, to, ru- uh, uh, to rub her uh, her bunions on her foot, and she'll give him a quarter for it. And it is. I will say, a lot of the cutaways to Diane Ladd in that movie are very funny. We don't kind of talk about how both not very good and also, like, 
maybe toxic that movie is, but oh, I will still watch it I every it. year. I love and, it. And like every time I watch it, there's a new cutaway to Diane Ladd that I'm like, no one talks about Diane Ladd in this movie. But Beverly D'Angelo furiously smoking in that movie <laughs> is tremendously <laughs> funny. Um, I know we listen. Nobody loves Chevy Chase. What I love about that movie is that John Hughes or not she, uh, Chris Chris Columbus was supposed to direct yes. that movie. Chevy Chase was such an asshole to him that they took him off of that movie. And John Hughes was like, "Here, I have this other movie that you might want to direct instead. How about Home Alone?" And I was like, <laughs> "Okay." Don't threaten me with a lucrative multi-billion dollar career. Like, all right, thank you. Okay, so I've got two for Diane Ladd. Yes, and no wrong guesses. Well, I'm just going to say Rambling Rose then, and if I get a wrong guess, I get a wrong guess. Incorrect. Okay. I'm going to guess Christmas Vacation. Incorrect. Okay, Okay, so your years are 1974 and 2015, so big gap. Yeah. Is she in, oh, she's in Joy, right? Joy. Joy. She's grandma, right? She's Joy's grandma. Okay. (laughs) 1974, people definitely don't really talk about her in relationship to this movie. Best Picture nominee. The Conversation? No. Chinatown? Chinatown. I don't remember her in Chinatown. She's in Chinatown. Good it's for her. Known for. I haven't seen Chinatown in a very long time, but I don't, I don't remember her in Chinatown. That's yeah. on me. That's not on she, Diane. That's on me. Uh, I mean, like I can visualize her in the movie, but I can't like tell you how much of the movie that she is in. Sure, it sure, could sure. quite possibly be like an early scene, early in the movie. When yeah. people think of Chinatown, they think of forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. She's yeah. my daughter. She's my sister. She's sure. my daughter and my sister. You know, yeah. that's, that's mm-hmm. what people think about Chinatown. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Good week. Great episode. Great episode. Won't be the same for our listeners, but happy birthday to you, my darling. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, another year almost. I'm just going to keep turning 39 forever is what I'm going to keep doing. I'm just going to keep doing that. It's going to be fun. All right. Uh, yeah. Eventually Thank I'll you. catch up to you. Love you, mermaids. Okay. That is our episode, listeners. If you would like more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can and should check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account, at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at chrisvfile, that's F-E-I-L. Yeah, uh, I'm just realizing now that uh, this episode comes out while we are in Toronto. So that'll be fun and interesting. Ah. We will be living it up back in our old uh, Toronto Is it the episode haunt. after this or after our next one that is our TIFF episode? It'll be the one after this one, yes. So coming up okay. next week, then, uh, get ready for our uh, TIFF special. If that is not ultimately correct i will cut that part out of this uh uh but i believe that's right i believe it comes out yeah because we'll have an episode uh, right after the festival is done so look forward to that i uh am on twitter and letterboxd as well at joe reed reed spelled r-e-i-d we would like to thank kyle cummings for his fantastic artwork and dave gonzalez and gavin mevius for their technical guidance please remember to rate like and review us on spotify apple podcasts google play stitcher wherever else you get podcasts a five-star review in particular really helps us out with apple podcasts visibility so hit me sergeant and write us a nice review that's all for this week but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz (laughs) 